what parts of your story should you really be sharing online? Now, I've had this conversation with quite a few clients for a couple different reasons. One being around they want to share their story, but they're not really sure where to begin with sharing their story and then figuring out, okay, how much is too much and should I be holding it back in certain conversations? Is this relevant? And then also people talking about how, well, I feel like my story isn't interesting enough. I've had these conversations with clients throughout the years. And I want to touch on the question around how much should I share? How do I ensure that I'm not sharing too much or ensuring that it's relevant to my audience? How do I know if it's even relevant? And this is something that I had to learn throughout the years of how much should I really be sharing? And honestly, it has had to do a lot with getting comfortable and letting go of shame around sharing my story. So I've been slowly sharing mine throughout the years. And recently I shared the most, (laughs) the most behind the scenes of things that I experienced. And I had some clients who had worked with me who literally messaged me and said, I never even knew this about you. I wish you had shared this before. And that kind of showed me, you know what? I feel like it's time to really pull back the onion peels and share more of my story. And in today's episode, I want to highlight what stories you should be sharing or you can share because you can share whatever the hell you want. It's, It's your platform. It's your business. But understanding what stories or what parts of your stories are relevant and why. And first, I just want to say that sharing your story has everything to do with your values in your business. I feel like if they align with your, if the story aligns with your values, then it's relevant. If it doesn't, then you really don't need to share it. I don't think you need to share your entire life story or all of your business online. You get to choose, obviously, like how much you share. And if you don't want it to align with your values, then that's fine. But if you're going to ask me what is too much, I think the things that are irrelevant to your values are just irrelevant. And so let me share a little story with you guys today around how I was able to figure out how much of my story to share and how I've been slowly getting comfortable with sharing it online because everyone's story is different. And my story particularly revolved around having a lot of shame around telling it. I was very embarrassed, very shameful around sharing my story, but it got to a point a couple of years ago where I started to share it and slowly, 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 like I said, peeled back the onion layers and I slowly started sharing it because I'm not going to lie. It wasn't really easy to share right away and you'll know why. And before we jump into this, as you're listening to the story and you're thinking about your own stories that you want to share. I know it can be a little nerve wracking to decide what to share, how much is too much. If you're in a situation where you're thinking, okay, I want to start infusing this into my branding, into my messaging, into my content, but you're not sure how, you can reach out to me in two different ways. First of all, you can go to my website. It's in the show notes. You can book a call with me and we can discuss how we can start implementing this into your content. The other part is if you generally just want to reach out and share your insights behind this episode and how it influenced you to share your story, you can find my social links on the show notes as well. Just tell me that you listened to this episode and I'll know exactly what you're talking about. All right, let's keep it. So a couple of my values in my business. One of my values is lead with kindness. And you may have heard me talk about this before in previous episodes. Another one is family first. And then one of my big values that I... I haven't talked about yet in this podcast is 
I have this goal in my business to start a nonprofit for children who age out of the foster care system. And when I say that's a value, it's basically when I think about giving up or when I think about trying something or when I start to doubt my dreams or (laughs) doubt, you know, start putting limitations on myself, I remember my goal and I remember that my goal is bigger than me. I think having a purpose in your business is crucial to ensure that it's not just about the money, but the money has purpose behind it. And what I mean by that is, is when I make multiple six figures in my business, I want to start a nonprofit for children who age out of the foster care system. And there's a reason behind that. I was in the foster care system. I have three younger siblings that were in the foster care system who all aged out at the age of 18. One was adopted, so her situation was a little different, and I'll go into that. But we all aged out of the foster care system, and let me tell you something. Being 18 does not make you an adult. <laughs> In my opinion, maybe back then I thought I was, but being an being an 18-year-old on your own, like you are a child trying to figure it out, regardless of your life experience or not, you're a child living on your own. And I was, I was basically forced to move out on my own and start my life at a really young age. And fortunately I decided really young and early on that I wanted to be the complete opposite of what my parents were. And I was pretty determined and I was very intentional about the support system that I built growing up. And I was really, really determined to hit certain goals in my life and managed to overcome the generational trauma that I was inclined to follow, but I did not. And then I had siblings that followed behind me, each and every single one of them aged out of the foster care system and eventually lived with me (laughs) at some point. And it's really easy to fall victim to the cycle when you turn 18 and you're left on your own. You're left to figure out how to support yourself financially. People in their 30s and 40s have a hard enough time with it. Imagine an 18-year-old trying to get a car, transportation, support yourself, feed yourself, not really knowing how to do all those things. And so it's a big value of mine to start a nonprofit. And the way I'm going to do that is through my business. And the way that I talk about this value in my business is by sharing my story. So today I want to share a little bit of my story with you to kind of give you a little backstory. So yes, I was in the foster care system for a couple of different times in my life. The first time I was one, don't remember, <laughs> for like a year, my mom was actually in the foster care system with me. She was a young mother. And so she was put in the foster care system with me. And then when I was five for a little over a year, which I vaguely remember certain parts. And then the last time when I was 13, almost 14, I was placed in foster care and then placed with a family member to live with until I turned 18. So why were we put in foster care? In order to share that with you, I am going to share a little bit about my story. Fair warning, in case you didn't look at the show notes, there are a few trigger in this story. So I want to just go ahead and lay those out before you listen to this, because if this is something that's triggering for you, you may not want to listen to it. You may want to skip to the next episode. So there are mentions of physical abuse, sexual abuse, and drug use. So if any of these things are triggering to you or uncomfortable for you to listen to, I definitely recommend you go ahead and skip to the next episode. Thank you for understanding. My mom was a single mom most of my, most of the time when I was younger, up until I was the age 
of 10, when she started dating my, my baby sister's father, who was my stepdad and things were actually decent. Like my mom was a pretty good single mom. You know, we always had like a two bedroom, small apartment. She slept in the living room. Me and my sister shared a room and my brother had his own room. Like sometimes you you're poor, but you don't know you're poor. <laughs> I didn't know we were poor because we had all of our needs were met. Everything was actually pretty good. Like we always had food. We had clean clothes. Like life was actually pretty, pretty good. Like I didn't know that we were struggling financially. My mom never showed it. And my mom has always been an alcoholic. And I really couldn't tell when I was younger because she had it under control. And so when I was 10 years old, my mom started dating this new guy who was my baby sister's father and things were okay. At first we moved in with him and my mom got pregnant. We were living in Rhode Island and things were going okay. Then we moved down to North Carolina to be closer to my mom's side of the family. And my mom had the baby and things quickly changed quickly, quickly changed it. Not because of my baby sister. She was beautiful. Perfect. <laughs> But my mom and my stepdad's behavior started to change almost immediately after having the baby. My mom and my stepfather started doing drugs in front of us. It was like slowly started doing it in front of us. And then it was all of the time. Then it came to a situation where my mom's family wasn't speaking to my mom as often. So therefore they really didn't know what was going on at the time. We went from renting a house to renting an apartment, to living in hotels, to living in a crack house. And this happened within a two-year span because my sister was two years old when we were taken away by the foster care system. So very, very quickly, things started to decline and they got really bad, really, really fast. And when I tell you they got really, really bad, it became a situation where I was watching my stepfather buy drugs. I was watching my stepfather doing drugs in front of us and my mother. And then I was basically left to be a caretaker for my younger siblings, especially my baby sister. It got to a situation where my stepfather became extremely abusive towards me, my brother and my sister. And I was kind of forced to be home a little bit more to protect my baby sister in fear of what would happen if I wasn't there. So I would go to school School was my escape back then. I was in middle school at the time. And when you live in a household like that, school is not something that you avoid. School is something you look forward to because there is food. There was many times where it was the second of the month, we would get food stamps and the food stamps were gone because they were sold for God knows what. And we would have no food in the house. There was food at school and I could escape. It was normal. I got to see my friends. And the hardest part about going to school was the saying that my mother used to say, what happens at home stays at home and having to hide from my friends and my teachers, everything that was going on. But I was pretty good at hiding it. I was one of those kids who was very quiet and didn't talk about what was going on at home. And, and I hid it pretty well. I think there was this one teacher who had an idea of something that was going on at home because she would ask me all the time if I had clean clothes because I would wear the same uniform to school every single day. In North Carolina, a lot of the schools are like uniform based on khaki pants. Uh, I can't remember the color top we had to wear, but we had to wear a uniform. And she would often give me clean clothes that she had like spare in, in her office. 
And so I remember her and she was my dance teacher. And it's probably one of the reasons why I fell in love with dance because <laughs> she saw me, but she didn't really ask me what was going on at home. So, you know, I hit it very well at, at school, but coming home was just, you never knew what you were coming home to. Was it fighting? Do we have food at home? Did they do the laundry, you know, and then it got to a point where we were in hotels for at least a year. We would, we would basically live in one hotel. They wouldn't pay the rent for the night or for the week. And we'd go to another motel. And you know, what's really crazy about bouncing back from hotel to hotel is that there are other kids that live in hotels. There are families that like the entire family lives in one room in a hotel. And it almost became like normal because you make friends with the other kids that are in the hotels with you. And so we would bounce around from hotel to hotel I remember at one point, my stepfather would make me ask for money on the corner and say that we needed to pay for our rent. And they would, they pay for one night at the hotel and then spend the rest of the money on drugs. Okay. And it was just this never ending cycle to the point where we basically like burned bridges at every single hotel in the area. Then we ended up living with this couple and at first it was fine. Like they seemed really nice and he had a son that would come and stay there sometimes, like a younger son that we would play video games with. But then he would beat his girlfriend out of nowhere. They would be in the room and she would be screaming. And I remember saying to my mom, like, what are we going to do? And my mom would say, we can't get involved. We have nowhere to go. So here I am like confused, you know, hearing this woman being abused by this man and they're not doing anything about it to step in. And then I remember laying on the couch one night and this guy randomly touching my backside and me pretending to roll over while I was sleeping. And then he quickly walked away. And then being afraid to even say something because, you know, what's my mom going to do to this guy? What's my stepfather going to do to this guy? Are we going to have nowhere to go? Are we going to be homeless again? Where are we going to go? Are they going to be angry with me? I was very confused and I didn't understand it. We stayed there for a very short period of time, I think for maybe a month. And then we had to leave and we're forced to live in this. There was this house and it was a crack house. Like everybody rented out a room and there was a shared bathroom. Ugh, so awful. And you would see people doing drugs in the, in the hallway. And so we're living there for a while. We lived there for a while and things just weren't getting better. Things just weren't getting better. And eventually, eventually, someone called DCYF or DHS or whatever they call it in your state. Someone called them. And, you know, the crazy part about all of this that was going on is that I was 13. Right before we got taken away, I knew what was happening was wrong. I knew what they were doing was wrong. And I would get into arguments with my mom, like, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing him to do this? And there was one time where my mom did leave my stepdad. We, we went to a shelter. He beat the crap out of her like very, very badly one night. And my mom left and we stayed in a shelter. And let me tell you that shelter was the best place we had stayed in over a year because yes, we all had to sleep in one room, but it was safe and it was quiet, and we had clean clothes, and we always had food, and then there were other kids there, and they had computers, and it just felt normal. Like, I felt normal, and looking back, I'm like, you would never think that living in a shelter would be like a place of sanctuary for a child, but it was, and I remember, you know, getting picked up from school on the school bus and feeling a little ashamed living there because people would say, oh, you know, do you live in a shelter, you know, to get picked on at school, 
So that that part was a little difficult, but at the same time, I liked living there. And then eventually my mom went back with my stepdad and we went back to the same situation. And so DCYF was called and I can't tell you how many times I had thought about telling someone at school or wanting to call them myself, but I was the oldest and I had younger siblings and I was terrified to, first of all, be separated from them. And then second of all is them to hate me for calling DCYF. You know, my brother and my sister, they were a lot younger. They were like six and eight. And then I had my, my baby sister who was two. I didn't want them to hate me. I didn't want my mom to hate me. I didn't want my stepfather to hate me as, as awful as he was, you still develop like a feeling for that person. You know, I cared about him as awful as he was. And so I didn't want to be the reason that we did it. And it, it, it kills me looking back because, you know, I know there are, are other kids in that situation right now who, who know that they're in that situation, but they would, they would rather not call and tell anyone because they're so afraid of what, what might happen next. The fear of the unknown is basically what would go on because I remember being in foster care when I was five and going from home to home to home. And I can't even tell you how many different kindergartens I went to. And I vaguely remember it. Like, it's not like this in-depth memory of when I was five years old, because how much do you really remember when you're five? But it's more so I remember meeting with different families and being very confused about what was going on. I didn't know where my mom was. I didn't know where my brother and my sister was. Like, And they were very, very young at that time, like three and one. Just being very, very confused about what was going on. So that feeling of not wanting to to feel that way kind of held me back from telling anyone. And let me tell you, you know, when we were taken away, it was a pretty, pretty awful day, <laughs> pretty awful day. And I was put into a temporary foster home with my younger sister who was six. My baby sister was put into a home that actually ended up adopting her later on. And then my younger brother was put into a foster home and he was around eight at that time. I was put into a temporary foster home, which basically meant like we weren't going to stay there forever. It was like you go in, the lady showed you where all the stuff was in the cabinets, gave you your bed. And that was it. No emotion. Just like she knew I was in and out and my, my sister was in and out. And I didn't know where my brother was or where my baby sister was. It was that feeling of the unknown. And at that time, I remember saying to myself, I just have to keep my sister safe. And so just making sure my younger sister followed the rules. And, you know, I remember a little girl had come in the night after we came in and she was sleeping in the bunk above us. And she was probably around my sister's age. And she cried for her mom all night long. I remember thinking to myself, like, where is my baby sister at? Where is my brother at? Are they feeling like that? You know? And so when they tell you about the foster care system, I was never put into a, a terrible foster home where they were abusive. My, my brother and my sisters never experienced that. I know other people have experienced that, but it's not just about the foster families. It's, they don't tell you anything. You have no control. They don't tell you anything. And even at 13 years old, I was very uncertain about what was going to happen. And they don't, they don't tell you anything. You don't have any control and they try to keep their siblings together as much as they can, but it's really hard when you, when you're four, when there's four of you. And so me and my sister ended up getting put into another home together. This was about two weeks after still haven't seen my sis baby sister, still haven't seen my brother. And we were put into another home together. I remember it was this, this couple, Mr. And Mrs. B and 
I loved living with them because we went to church every Sunday and I remember I got like a clothing voucher when we lived with them and we got clean clothes and I went to summer camp for the first time that summer because we got taken away in May. So this was all like pretty much over the summer when this, when this happened and we were put in summer camp for the first time, which was awesome because I got to be around other kids. No one knew I was in, fo in a foster home and it, life kind of felt like normal. I was actually kind of enjoying myself a little bit, even though I was missing my baby sister and my brother, but life kind of felt normal. Me and my sister had a really nice room. They lived in a big house. It was two floors. I remember saying to myself that we're in a rich person's house because, and I laugh now because, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really know what's considered rich and what's not. They had a separate room it was like a living room that we weren't allowed to go in and there was furniture covered in plastic and they only used that room for social gatherings. So in my mind growing up, if you had a separate room that was just for social gatherings, you were rich, but they were so nice and their family was super nice and we lived with them almost all summer. Eventually I was moved into my aunt's house and she tried taking my younger sister and my younger brother. And she wanted to take my baby sister, but my stepfather wouldn't allow it because, you know, we had different dads and that was my dad's side of the family that took us in. So he wouldn't allow it. But even though, because you still have rights, even though your kids get taken away. So my, my aunt tried taking all three of us. My brother and sister had some behavior problems. So she ended up having to put them back in foster care. And it was just me. Now, here's the situation about this. My aunt lived four hours away from where we lived. We, we were taken away in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then my aunt lived in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, which is about a four-hour drive away. And so I got to see my mom in court when her rights were terminated towards the end of the summer, and I also saw my biological father for the first time in seven years, but that's another, that's another topic for another episode, okay? And then I, I saw my stepfather. And their rights were terminated and I got to see my baby sister and my brother for the first time in like two months. And then my aunt was granted temporary guardianship of me and I was moved four hours away. I did not see them, my siblings again for another year until my aunt took me down to go visit them. And then me and my aunt, long story short, we kind of got into disagreements. I was a teenager going through all this crap. And she couldn't handle me. And so I ended up moving in with another aunt in Rhode Island. So I was basically forced <laughs> to move up to Rhode Island to live with another aunt, which was like a 14 hour drive from Charlotte. And so from 14 to 18, I did not see my younger siblings for four years, did not see them for four years. We would talk on the phone back then. There really wasn't like video chatting. I feel like old by saying that, cause this was back in like 2006 to 2008. Okay. And like, so MySpace was still a thing. So there was really no video chatting. So I didn't get to see them on camera. I'd see pictures of them that their families would send to me at this time. My baby sister was adopted by her family. She ended up obviously staying with the same family until she turned 18. My, my younger sister who was six, we got taken away. She was bounced around from foster home to foster home, to group home, to group home, to group home, to mental health facilities, to foster home, to foster home. And my younger brother was the same situation. And so at 18, I drove down to North Carolina. I moved out when I turned 18 out of my aunt's house. I was told that, that I could no longer live there. And I had to move out at 18. 
And I remember taking a road trip with my friends. We didn't go to prom and we saved up our money and we drove down to North Carolina for a road trip. And I got to see my siblings for the first time when I was 18. I hadn't seen them in four years. And I will tell you that it was probably one of the most emotional days of my entire life because I hadn't seen my baby sister since she was two, almost three years old, about three years old. And it had been four years, which would have made her around like seven years old. And to go from three years old to seven years old, they look very, very different. So I remember her running up to me and me not even knowing who she was and then looking at her and realizing it, oh my God, that's my baby sister, which was crazy because I feel like I missed out on so much of her life because it was four years. Same thing with my younger sister, same thing with my brother. And so it was a very emotional you know, moment at that time. But when I went to go visit them, I made the, the promise to myself that I would never ever live that type of life again. I would never put my kids through it. I would never do the things that my mother did. Just, I promised myself my life would be the complete opposite, but it was hell at 18. I got my own car. I was working at Walmart. It's actually where I met my, my now husband. We've been together since I was 16 years old. I was working at Walmart when I was 16 and I kept that job for a couple of years. And that's how I ended up getting my own place with a cousin and roommates and just kind of bouncing back and forth between roommates until I was 21 when me and my husband actually ended up moving in together. And, you know, when my brother turned 18, he was pushed out of the foster care system and he ended up living with me for a couple of years, struggled, struggled, and still kind of struggles to this day. My younger sister, same situation. When she turned 18, she lived with me for a couple of years. And same thing with my baby sister. When she moved out from her parents' house who did adopt her, she ended up living with me. <laughs> And so it's not an easy transition out of foster care, you know, needing the support. Not everybody has the older sister, okay? I didn't have the older sibling. Not everyone has the support system. If you had the support system, you wouldn't have been in foster care to begin with. There would have been people who can take you. And so that's the thing when you turn 18 and you're in foster care is that they make it seem like you get all of this support, but you don't understand those resources. You don't always have a foster home family that is going to walk you through those types of things. Especially if you get taken away at an older age, it's really hard to find placement and you are bouncing between homes and bouncing between homes. And let's admit it, kids who are in foster care, they didn't have stable environments. And so we don't know how to function in a normal setting. And so it's really hard going from one new home to a new set of rules, to a new set of rules, new set of rules. And, and yes, you get teenagers who run away and teenagers who don't follow rules or when you're bounced between one school to the next school in high school, you don't get into a really great college because you weren't consistent or you were never taught why you should go to college or, or never really thought that you had the capability of having that type of future. And so there's so much that goes into why kids that age out of the foster care system go back and repeat the same cycles. They go back and risk, not everyone. A lot of us have beaten the odds, but a lot of us haven't. And I think that one of the reasons being is that we don't have the support that we need when we turn 18. It's a lot easier to fall into the same cycle because you don't have those support systems there, like physically, emotionally, psychologically, and financially. And so this is one of the reasons my values is so strong around this and why I talk about this story is because one, it's healing to share my story. It is. It's healing. It takes away a lot of the shame that I used to feel around sharing. And this is part of the story, a very quick summary in what, 20 minutes that I shared with you this story. But it, I feel so strongly about this because I feel like my young adulthood life could have been so much 
easier and transitioned easier had I had the support. Someone to buy me a car or to help me pay for an apartment or my brother and sisters, if they had that type of support when they turned 18, they definitely would have been better off, but they had an older sibling to support them. Think about the people who don't, who don't have that support or are in a rougher neighborhood or a rougher situation or experienced even worse trauma than we did. So this is why it's so important for me to share this story because it's relevant to my values. It's relevant to my business. Anytime I think about quitting, I think about this goal that I can't stop because I can't stop because my mission is so much bigger than I am. It's so much bigger than I am. Also sharing this story keeps me grounded and reminds me how far I've come because, you know, for a really long time when I was younger, a lot of people would say to me, you know, Chrissy, considering everything you've went through, you're doing pretty great. And this is even at a young age of 20 years old, you know, with my own apartment struggling, people said I was doing great because I didn't fall into the, the drug cycle and stuff that my parents did. And so for a really long time, I felt like, okay, as long as I'm not like my parents, I'm doing well. And it kind of limited me to my idea of what success can look like for me. In my mind, as long as I'm not repeating what my parents did, I am successful. And I may not be able to be rich one day. I may not be able to build wealth, but maybe the next generation will. It was my job to beat the cycle, not my job to have that type of success. That was the mindset that I used to have when I was younger because I didn't have anyone else to show me otherwise. There were no entrepreneurs, business owners, people that were around me that had a different lifestyle to show me otherwise. There was no proof. I had never seen someone come from where I came and have success. It wasn't until I was introduced to entrepreneurship when I was 25. And that's another story for another day. <laughs> but it took me a really long time to even think that I was capable of success. And I want to be able to show other kids that there's so much possibility for them just because they experience those things early in life doesn't mean that they can't have the things that other people have. And so it keeps me grounded when I share this story. I feel almost proud when I share this story because I have... Ugh, I've started life very differently. <laughs> and it also makes me proud to say, like, when you look at me, you would never know my background. And this is why you never know. You can never judge a book by its cover because you don't really know what this person has really gone through or experienced. So going back to what I was saying in the very beginning is how much should you share? How much should you share? You get to choose how much of your story that you share. I have slowly, slowly, slowly started to share my story and get comfortable on peeling those onion layers sharing my experience and my life and my values and my goals, I've slowly started to share these things. You don't have to one day share your entire life story. It, you know, it can take time, but this kind of share, shows you too, that it needs to be relevant to your values. If you feel like it's not relevant, then you don't have to share it. And then also, even if it is relevant to your values, you get to decide how much you feel comfortable sharing. I've worked with the life coaches and the therapists and it has taken me time to be able to share a story like this and make jokes in between. Okay. And <laughs> so it has taken time. And I definitely think that this can be healing to share your story, but I think you need to do some healing before you share your story, because I don't want you to share your story and then completely disappear off the face of the earth and throw away your business because now you've brought up all these old memories. So something to keep in mind, don't be ashamed to share your story, but also like 
really be intentional about the way you share it. That's really the biggest thing is the intentional piece. Be intentional about how you highlight your values in your business. So thank you guys so much for listening. This episode was definitely a little different than some of my other episodes. I wanted to be very transparent with you. I will be sharing more of my story. I would actually love it if, if this story or if this episode, you know, resonated with you in any type of way, really helped you when it comes to sharing your story around your values. I would actually love it if you shared about this episode online. You can tag me on Instagram or on Facebook. You can go down to the show notes and you'll see all of the links of where you can share it. Please share this episode. Please feel free to share any ahas or, you know, takeaways that you've had from this episode, because clearly it's not always easy sharing my story. It gets easier every single time that I do, but I want to know how this hit for you. Thank you guys so much for listening.